0: Well good morning friends, it is, uh, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Thanks for joining us on a beautiful Sunday morning in October, uh, especially if it's your first time, maybe your first time in a long time, uh, you are taking a huge risk in stepping into a church you know nothing about, and we are honored that you're willing to take that risk with us. But you're in good company, or crazy company, or bad company, whatever you are, you're, you're in that, okay? That's, that's who we are too. So we are, uh, we're glad that you're with us this morning. Hey, we're currently in a sermon series entitled The Story. See, when God first spoke creation into existence, he began telling a story, the greatest story of all time, in fact. It's a story about uh, love, it's a story about loss, ultimately a story about how you find eternal life. And what we're hoping to do through this series is learn how every book and how every character in the Bible connects to God's much larger story about his love for us, his redeeming love for us and hopefully you're also learning how your story connects to that much larger story of God as well if you haven't already uh, please go in the foyer grab your copy of this resource we've got a couple of chapters left in this book in this series and we'd love for you to be joining us and uh, and join us on the rest of this journey Uh, I'm excited to spend a little bit more time with you this morning in chapter 26 we were there last week a a heavy chapter a chapter is called the hour of Darkness. And although we did spend some time there last week, I think it's important that we spend one more week at the foot of the cross. And hopefully after this morning, you'll, you'll see why that is. I, uh, I recently heard about a man. He was growing increasingly frustrated and increasingly worried about his wife. Uh, she was getting more and more agitated. She was gloomy and depressed. She was short and brash in her conversations. So the husband made an appointment for the wife to go see the doctor. They put her through a barrage of physical and psychological evaluations After going through a number of tests and then waiting for several weeks for the results, the doctor finally called the couple back into his office. He had them sit down and he said, Ma'am, sir, I can't find anything wrong with you. I can't find anything wrong with your wife. Well, then I don't know what to do for her, doc, the man said. Doctor thought for a moment, scratched his head. Then he stood up, walked out from behind his desk, asked the woman to stand up as well. Then he gave her the biggest, wettest, most affectionate kiss you've ever seen a strange man give a strange woman. Instantly, her face brightened up. Instantly, her her countenance changed. The doctor looked at the man and said, Sir, you see what I just did? She needs that at least twice a week. (laughs) Perfect, the man replied. I can have her here on Tuesdays and Thursdays. See, there are are just some things in life right? we'd rather other people do for us, right? There are just some things in life, especially the difficult things, especially the demanding things. We would rather just pawn off on somebody else to take care of us, take care for us on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but but normally we got to take care of those things, right? It's normally, we're the ones that normally have to shoulder and and go through those those hardships, those difficult experiences. Someone else can't do it for us on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we got to do it. We've got to do it every day. And it's my hope, it's been my prayer this week that you will start to see through our message this morning that those difficult and demanding things in life, those might just be the very things God is using to bring you life. Let me pray that would happen this morning. Father, um, we, we do come. We just come to experience you. We come to encounter you. If you are real, if you are out there, if you're still alive, if you're still speaking, God, if you're as powerful and as good and as amazing as we claim and sing about, would you, you just show up in this moment? Would you prove that to us beyond the shadow of a doubt, God? Blow blow us away with your word and your wisdom and your ways, Father God. Come and speak a word to us. Enlighten our minds. Infuse our hearts. Change us, Father God. Come now into this space and teach us something incredible through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Of all the things that Jesus said, and he said some crazy things, didn't he? I mean, from claiming that a holy God has great affection for unholy, godless people, to saying that people must eat his flesh and drink his blood in order to find life, to telling stories about the master of the house serving the servants, to communicating truth in a single phrase, a phrase that would silence all of his critics and captivate crowds for thousands of years. He had a way with words, didn't he? And being a communication guy, I just kind of sit at his feet I'm just amazed at the things that he said and the way that he said them. But of all the things that he said, never once, not once, did he ever say, I'm sorry. Think about that for a minute. Of all the things Jesus said about life and death, heaven and hell, rich and poor, sinners and saints, not once do we ever hear him say, I'm sorry. Not once does he apologize for anything. You flip through your Bible, those that have the the words of Jesus printed in red, and you'll never stumble across red letters that say, I'm sorry. And yet, he he had plenty of opportunities to say that, to do just that, didn't he? To the woman who'd been dealing with that bleeding problem for over 12 years, it, it was painful, it was shameful. You would think that Jesus would look at her longingly and say, daughter, sister, I am so sorry. You've had to deal with that for so long. But he didn't say it. To the rich guy who walked away from Jesus after he was called to give away all of his money, you would expect Jesus to chase after that guy and be like, whoa, 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 man, I'm so sorry. That was a little steep. How about just half your money? But he didn't say that. To the disciples who dropped everything to follow this man, who three and a half years later were told they were gonna suffer and die just like this man, you would think Jesus would say something like, listen, guys, I'm so sorry that I got you into this. But he never said that. Nowhere on record does Jesus ever apologize to anyone for anything. He just didn't do it. He never once said, I'm sorry. But why? Why not? I mean, given the hurt, the headache, the the heartache that he encountered, given the diseases and the distress and even the death that he experienced, why would he never express sympathy for these things? Why would he never communicate his his sorrow for these things? Why would he never say that he wished things were different? Why would he never say what you and I always say when we encounter those things? I'm so sorry. Why would he never say that? Well, the answer to why he never said that is actually found in something he did say. It's in John 12, verses 23 and 25. If you have a Bible, open there. In these verses, we hear this. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, for me to die. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for all eternity. This picture here, these are are kernels of wheat. Not sure if you're super familiar with those things, but there's nothing all that special about those individual kernels. Maybe you could uh, fill a bean bag or something with that handful of kernels, but not much more besides that. But if you plant those little kernels in the ground, if you do what farmers call killing the seed by having it germinate underneath the dirt, then it produces this. It produces 10 times what it was by itself. For those of you from the Midwest, right? that's a beautiful sight right there, just a field of wheat. That one little seed produced 10, 20, maybe 100 times more seed. Now still, you're not all that impressed, I can tell. But wait, wait, it gets better, I promise you. If if you decide to take all of these seeds now, all of these different kernels, and if you decide to crush them up, well then you're gonna bring heaven to earth. You see, when you crush these kernels up, you can make stuff like this. Oh, oh, okay, 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 now we're talking. But better than that, you crush those kernels up, you make something like this. Oh yes, sorry. Or how about something like this? Or better yet, so I just want you to go to the chili party after this. Anyway, but after, what, what about this? Yes. You see, you crush that kernel, you literally bring heaven to earth. That is heaven, people, on a plate. It's called sticky buns. But if it remains a single kernel, that's eh, not all that important. But if it dies in the ground, if it's buried, if it's crushed, it can produce that yummy plate of goodness. And in light of everything that we looked at last week, who better than Jesus to make such a wild claim? Who better than Jesus to talk about losing your life? Who better than Jesus to talk about falling to the ground and dying? He can say all of that because he experienced all of that. So I'm not going to talk about things falling to the ground and dying. If you don't have any credibility, if you don't know what you're talking about, it's another to talk about something falling to the ground and dying, if that's what you're going to do, if that's what you're committing to do. Listen to how Paul said it in Philippians 2. Have the same attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form and unchanging essence of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or asserted, but he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant and being made in the likeness of men. After he was found in outward appearance as a man, he humbled himself even further by becoming obedient to the Father to the point of death, even death on a cross. I love the language, the words that that Paul uses there. It says that God emptied himself for us. Paul points out that this emptying of himself, it started when he came to the earth. It continued as he ministered to helpless and hopeless people on the earth. But that emptying of himself, that was all culminated when he was buried and placed back into the earth, when his lifeless body was given to the earth. See, Jesus didn't just go to the extra mile. He didn't just give until it hurts. He emptied himself, he drained himself, he bankrupted himself. When our God was done giving it all on the cross, there was nothing left to give. That's it. Our sin took it all out of him. Our sin took it all from him. He emptied himself, he gave it all. He was a kernel of wheat that fell to the ground. And died, and it's in light of all that that Hebrews twelve two just blows your mind. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says: For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he fell into the ground and died. For the joy set before him, he emptied himself completely and gave all he has to give. For the joy set before him. Hold up, hold up. What the joy? Last week we talked about Jesus sweating blood and crying out in fear on the cross. Last week we looked at Jesus drinking the cup of God's wrath on the cross, much worse than wheat grass. Last week we saw how Jesus experienced death and divine separation on the cross. Joy, there's no joy on the cross. There's no joy in dying on the cross. Oh, there is if you can see beyond the cross. (laughs) There is if you know what's happening through the cross. There is, if you believe something greater is coming after the cross, because you see, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a single seed. But if it dies, oh, but if it dies. So when Jesus looked at the cross, when Jesus contemplated the cross, even when Jesus carried the cross, he was able to do it because he knew that the joy he would experience after it would make all of it well worth it. The joy of conquering death by death, the joy of opening up the floodgates of heaven onto the earth, the joy of spending eternity with guys like us, the joy of se- sending all of creation and all of humanity on this different trajectory, the joy of taking that kernel of wheat and giving you a heavenly cinnamon roll. I don't think Jesus had a cinnamon roll on his mind on the cross, but go with me for a second in that analogy. See, if you can see beyond the cross, if you know what's happening through the cross, and if you know something greater is coming after the cross, then you've got joy while you're carrying that cross. It seems as if Jesus knew what others did not. Life comes through death. Abundance comes through emptying yourself, and joy comes through the cross. And that's why he said what he did in Luke 9. Then he said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, you must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. See, according to Jesus, the cross wasn't just this one-time thing. The cross wasn't just a singular moment in history. The cross isn't just something that we talk about and study and thank God for. The cross is something we carry. The cross is something that we should be known for. The cross is that which marks our lives. Why? Because the way of the cross is the way of redemption. The way of the cross is the way of life. This is how God brings abundance. This is how God brings eternity. This is how God brings restoration. We look at the cross and we think, man, that's a shame God had to do that. It's a shame he had to go through that. No, God didn't just do that. That's who God is. That's his very nature. That's how God works. That's how God brings life. It was true in Jesus' cross, but it's also true with your cross. It's not just something that he did. It's something that we all need to do. And this is what a sermon kind of like, whoa, Okay, it was fun last week talking about the cross, and I, I praise God for the cross last week, what Jesus did on that cross, all that happened through the cross. Whoa, it was enormous, it was beautiful, mysterious, majestic, yes, amen and amen. But how about this week? Are we still singing that same tune? Are we still saying that same thing when Jesus says, your turn? <laughs> My, no, 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 you did the cross, man. It, it, it's done, right, done deal, glory to glory now. You want to be my disciple who says, you'll pick up your cross and follow me. We loved hearing about the cross last week, but this week, oh, do we still love the cross as much? A 12-year-old Protestant boy in England was watching the execution, the burning to death of an outspoken Christian man. Somebody else who knew that this young boy was also a Christian looked at the young man and said, what are you doing here? And the young man who was staring at that martyred man said, I'm learning the way. I'm learning the way. As we stare at the cross, church, that's exactly what we're doing. We're, We're learning the way. As we look at the cross, we're learning the way to eternal life, but also the way to life right now. We're learning the way to overcome the difficulties of this life. We're learning the way to become all that God meant for us to be in this life. We're learning what it means to trust God, to follow God, to serve God, to love God. It's through the cross. It's in the cross. It's on the cross. We learn the way. Now granted, our cross is not some 200-pound wooden beam. Our crosses consist of burdens and demands and pressures, right? We've got to carry them, and they're just as heavy. The cross for us isn't a piece of wood that we have to endure. It's a medical condition that we have to endure, a mental state that we have to endure. The cross for us isn't hanging on a tree. The cross for us is hanging on to bad memories of what happened to us. What others did to us or what we did to others, the cross for us isn't death death by asphyxiation. The cross for us is the death of a marriage, the death of a child, the death of a dream, the death of a spouse. Those are our crosses. And they're cruel, aren't they? They're crippling, they're painful, they're paralyzing. And Jesus asks you to carry them. And he never apologizes for the ask. Because unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it just remains a single seed. But if it dies, if it dies, yum-yum. If you're a note taker, here's where I'd start scribbling like your pen's on fire. It's on the cross that Jesus proves to us, sacrifice and servitude and suffering lead to salvation. Take a, look, a good, good hard look at that equation, right? Because for most of us, that's not gonna quite compute. Sacrifice plus servitude plus suffering equals salvation. For for most of us in the room this morning, that looks like one of those old calculus proofs we had back in college. Like, that's a foreign language. I remember taking a final one time in calculus, five page final. I look at the front cover, there's five questions on there, and I didn't know any answers to any of those five questions. It's like, I don't even know where to start. So I'll do what they always tell you to do. Go find the easy ones and find the ones you can do and then come back. Well, I flipped over to page two and I didn't know any of the answers on that page. The same with page three. Page four and page five were exactly the same. I didn't know any of it. Talk about feeling like a moron. Like, wait, was I in this class all semester? And although that equation doesn't make you feel like a moron, that equation can make you feel a lot of different things, can't it? That equation can bring up a lot of emotion. But we learned last week that sacrifice, servitude, and suffering, they bring life. Sacrifice and servitude and suffering, they they are the means to an incredible end. Sacrifice, servitude, and suffering, they are noble things that God uses to bring about amazing things. It was true for Jesus and his cross, and it's true for you and yours. And that's why Jesus never says, I'm sorry for any of those things. Because he knows what's coming out of all those things. He knows exactly what he's going to accomplish through all those things. He never says, I'm sorry for making you go through that. He's never going to express regret for having you endure that because he knows what's coming after that. I'm not saying that God doesn't care. Don't don't hear me say this morning that God's heart doesn't break when we go through those things. I'm not saying he doesn't have compassion. God's spirit is known as the great comforter, right? The great comforter. He feels for us. He feels things with us. But God wants so much more for us that he won't stop bad things from happening to us. He's not going to spare you. He's not going to shield you from the worst of the worst. Because somehow, that's how he's going to save you, and that's how he's going to sanctify you. And there's only a handful of people who are like, amen, Thomas. Amen to that. Come on. Bring that equation on in my life. There's only a few of us that have ever said yes to that. Paul was one of them. Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. Yes. To know the power of his resurrection. Amen. Amen. And participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. How about Romans 8:17? Now, if we're children, then we are heirs. Oh yes, heirs of God heirs with Christ. Yes, I want to live in his house. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. So many of us want this abundant life. We want the best life. We want this life where we experience power and glory and beauty. It's our desire series, right? We want that life. We want to know resurrection. We want to know blessing. If you want any of those things, though, then you're going to have to do what we call all selfish preschoolers to do. you got to share. If you want any of those things, then you actually have to share. you got to share in Christ's sufferings. You have to share in his servitude. You have to share in his surrender. You share in his cross. You share in his death. Then you will share in his glory. Then you will share in his resurrection life. But you gotta share. Now don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we jump up and down for joy when Christ asks us to carry a cross, like, woo-hoo! Praise God, my life is a wreck. Like, what's wrong with you, man? Think back to last week, Jesus was adamant, he was emotional when he was about to carry his cross, wasn't he? He asked God several times, please take this away from me. Remove this cup from me. And anyone who's ever suffered, anyone who's ever served, anyone who's ever sacrificed, in some way, you have every right to say and ask the very same thing. Please God, not this. Please God, not there. Please God, there has to be some other way. I don't have the strength to carry this. I don't, I don't want to go through this. This is going to crush me. Please, God, make all of this go away. You have every right to say that, but I hope at the end of saying that, you'll also say this. But it's not ultimately about what I want. It's what you want, God. It's not ultimately about what I want. It's about what you want. You want to save me from myself, from my sin, from my limited perspective. You want to save me because unless the kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a single seed. But if it dies... If it dies, oh, if it dies. During his reign, King Frederick William III found himself in trouble. There's a picture of Freddy, good-looking guy. Wars had been costly, destroyed his entire country. In trying to rebuild the nation, he was seriously short of finances. He couldn't ask his enemies for a loan. He couldn't take a loan out with his neighboring countries. So after careful reflection, he decided to ask the women of the country to bring their jewelry of gold and silver to the king. They would melt that down they would rebuild the nation. For each piece of jewelry they received, the king would give every woman a small iron cross as a gift of appreciation, as a symbol of his gratitude. King didn't know what to expect as he made this decree and made this offer, well the response was overwhelming. He received more jewelry than he ever imagined and the women of that country started prizing that little cross more than they ever valued or prized the old things. Because you see, Christian, when you wanna honor your king, when you wanna serve your king, when you wanna rebuild the kingdom with and for your king, then you will take whatever it is you have, take the things of the, the old way of life, the former things of life, you will take that and you will exchange them a cross and hopefully you will treasure that cross more than anything else why why can we say that because the cross the way of the cross is the way to life the way of the cross is the way to know God the way of the cross is the way to cinnamon rolls the way of the cross is the way to the salvation of the entire world that's what's happening at the cross And I know it's hard to get our minds around. All week long, I've been wrestling with this, man. So my voice went out. I was like screaming at God, like, what am I supposed to say? But the way of the cross is the way we're supposed to go because that's the way that Jesus went. And that's the way we will find all that we desire and then some. So I know it's hard to get our minds wrapped around it, but I think if we'll just open our eyes, we might actually see signs of this everywhere. We might actually see hints of this everywhere, Sacrifice and servitude and suffering bring salvation. A friend posted this video this following week that, that hints at this perfectly. Watch this.
1: Coach Peter Morales of the Coronado High School Thunderbirds in El Paso, Texas makes no qualms about it. He has a favorite on this team. Mitchell, I need you. I need you. to Help me out with my coaching tips, Mitchell. Team manager Mitchell Marcus has a developmental disability. One, two, three, bird! And he far surpasses everyone here when it comes to love of the game. He's this amazing person that our basketball team loves being around. Yay! Mitchell's mom, Amy, says he's always been that way. Mitchell always had a basketball. That was always what he wanted for his birthday. And because basketball is that important to him, on the last game of the regular season, The coach told Mitchell to suit up. What was it like to put on the uniform? I was very happy. I imagine you were. Just wearing a jersey was enough for Mitchell. But what he didn't know, what no one knew at the time, was that the coach planned to play him. At the end, no matter what the score. You were prepared to lose that game? For his moment, yes. For his moment in time, yes. And so with a minute and a half left, Coronado leading, but only by 10, Coach Morales put in his manager. And just started hearing Mitchell, Mitchell. Mitchell, Mitchell. But here's where the fairy tale fell apart. Although his teammates did everything they could to get Mitchell a basket, each time they passed him the ball, he either missed the shot or, like on their last possession, booted it out of bounds, turning the ball over to the other team with just seconds left
0: he wasn't able to score. But I was hoping that he was happy that he was just put in the game.
1: Could you have ever imagined what happened next? No, I did I could not, not at all. What happened next happened on the inbound. The guy with the ball there is a senior at Franklin High School, number 22, Jonathan Montanez.
0: I uh, just, I was raised
1: to treat others how you want to be treated. Just thought Mitchell deserved his chance, deserved his opportunity. I think I'll cry about it for the rest of my life. What Jonathan did was yell out Mitchell's name, then threw the ball right to it, right there. One of the most memorable turnovers of all time. It wasn't the game-winning shot. When the buzzer sounded, Coronado had 15 more points than Franklin. But Jonathan's assist and Mitchell's basket did change the outcome decidedly play any game with this much sportsmanship. Both teams win. Steve Hartman on the road in El Paso, Texas.
0: Like, like Nathan always says, darn those, darn those allergies. A kid served his high school basketball team as a manager. A coach sacrificed a win in someone else's playing time to give this guy a shot. And then an opponent sacrificed the ball and served the other team. And yet somehow, through sacrifice, through servitude, and even through suffering, they brought salvation to that gym. Church, that's what salvation will look and feel like. The eruption of the heavens when we get up there. That's what salvation looks like. But it came through sacrifice and servitude and suffering. It happened... Through that little guy, but it also happened through Jesus on the cross, and it will also happen every time that you make a sacrifice, every time that you uh, service or, or help serve somebody else, every time that you suffer and endure suffering. Why? Because unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a single seed. Oh, but if it dies, if it dies. So what does this mean for us? What are our takeaways today? I don't really know. I'm not really sure this week. Uh, I wish I could wrap this sermon up with the three ways to courageously carry your cross or, or the four steps to standing tall through suffering. You know me. I like alliteration. I like those nice, easy Roman numeral steps. I don't know what this means for us because it's going to look so different for each and every one of us. Right? Paul was asked to sacrifice something different than Peter was. The first Christians were asked to suffer in a way that's different than we're asked to suffer But I do know this, I I do know that what Jesus said about dying to ourselves, it has to go from mere words on a page to a way of life. What Jesus said about about dying to ourselves has to move from something that we just do on occasion to something that we do all the time to something that we are becoming. So let me ask a couple of questions as we end this morning. Christian, cross-bearer, what are you gonna die to this week? What are you gonna finally give up and give to God? What will you bury in the ground so that God can transform it into something life-giving? What will you allow God to crush so that he can make a cinnamon roll out of it? Maybe you need to consider Jesus with the little children and die to self-importance. Maybe you need to consider Jesus as he hung out with the outcasts and die to popularity and the opinions of others. Maybe you need to consider Jesus when he allowed Judas to keep track of his money and die to your materialism. Maybe you need to consider Jesus with the lepers and die to separatism. Maybe you need to consider Jesus with a towel around his waist and die to your pride. Maybe you need to consider Jesus in the way that he treated women and die to your unhealthy sexual desires. Maybe you need to consider Jesus hanging on a cross and die to yourself. This concept of carrying the cross, this concept of dying to ourselves, it's hard to get our minds around, but I honestly think every time you sacrifice, every time you serve, and every time you suffer, that's exactly what you're doing. You are carrying the cross of Jesus, and you're bringing life to this world. If what I read in the good book is true, then every sacrifice you've ever made, every act of service you've ever engaged in, every amount of suffering you've ever endured, all of them are bringing salvation to this world you are blessing and helping and restoring this world in a way you could never even fathom. Think about that, guys. From mowing your neighbor's yard, which I'm pretty proud to say I did a few weeks ago, only after he mowed mine, so I kind of had to. (laughs) But to that cup of coffee that you bought the guy behind you to that lunch tab that you picked up randomly, to that money that you gave away, to the extra bedroom that you opened up, to the ride that you gave someone, those vacation days you used to go on a mission trip, the time you committed to helping at your kid's school, to the grandkids that you watched for your kids, to helping little ones memorize scripture on Monday night, to help painting our classrooms. All of those sacrifices, all those moments of, of servitude, they are all being used to bring salvation to this world. So don't ever stop. Don't ever stop doing those things because they are bringing life. I know they feel like an insignificant thing. I know they feel like a small thing. They're bringing life to all things. So come on, carry your cross, because when you do, you're bringing life to me, my family, my church, my city, my country. my Well, you're bringing life to me. Please keep carrying your cross. I need you to. And the same is true for suffering. Do you realize that every moment spent mourning, every tear shed in sadness, every fist raised in anger, every sleepless night, every memory, every anniversary date, all that pain, all that suffering. I know it looks like death. I know it feels like death. It's not. It's life. You're bringing life to this world through your suffering. I can't explain it all in church. You know I don't know it all. But I do know this, that sacrifice, servitude, and suffering bring salvation. It's the way of the cross. Because unless the kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, you see, it just remains a single seed. But if it dies, oh, if it dies, bone appetite. I know we all wish we could pawn this off on somebody else. We all wish we could just ask the doctor to do this for us on Tuesdays and Thursdays that's not how it works god needs all of us every single one of us to carry our cross he needs us to believe that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies it's relatively insignificant but if it dies if it's crushed it will bring life he needs us to remain committed to the truth that sacrifice servitude and suffering will always be how he brings salvation to this world Let me end with this thought. On that day, on that day when we see Jesus face to face, on that day when we start to see the enormity of his sacrifice for us, as well as the ripple effect of our sacrifices for others, on that day when we feel the depth of his his service to us, on that day when when there's no more suffering, on that day we will finally understand why Jesus wasn't sorry for any of it. Because on that day, we won't be sorry for any of it either. Let me pray. That would be true for us and we'll enter into one more song of worship. Father, this is a difficult thing to study. It's even more difficult to actually do it. Lord, we look at that cross and we thank you for what happened on that cross. We look and we thank you for the substitute. We look and thank you for drinking the cup that was ours to drink. We, we thank you for, for being separated from the Father so that we never will have to, God. We thank you for the expression of love. We thank you for what happened on the cross. We thank you for the sacrifice on the cross, the, the, the serving that happened on the cross, the, the suffering that happened on the cross. We thank you for that, God. But now, as we, as we go back in kind of hindsight, look to see what Jesus said in asking us to carry our cross, we're a little scared, we're a little overwhelmed. It's, it's, it's easy to thank you for the cross. It's much harder to carry our own. But God, would the beauty of the cross, of Jesus' cross, become the beauty of our cross as well? Would we know that every time we sacrifice something, every time we serve another person, and every time we suffer anything, you are bringing salvation through it. You will bring salvation to it. You will bring life to this world through it also. God, help us to realize that. So this week, may our lives, may this church, be marked by suffering, sacrifice, and servitude. And may we have the joy of Jesus as we endure those things because we know those things will bring salvation. Please make it so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing one final song together as we close this morning.